0: Your boredom is over because we're just getting started here on Most Shows Recap. We're back. The team is back together for the first time in three weeks. I'm Josh Wiggler, and here are Rahap and Leonard, Rob Sesternino and Antonio Mazzaro.
1: Yeah, I'm Rahap.
0: Yeah, I'm Leonard.
1: Yeah, and I
0: am Paco.
1: <laughs>
2: Paco. You are Paco.
0: Yes. I'm Paco, and we are Paco casting Right now, for the first time, the three of us back together in this is the, the it's been three weeks, I think something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds about right. Why? Oh yeah, uh, we'd, really? we had done Agent Carter with an invisible Kevin Mahadeo and Antonio and I uh, last week was an invisible me with Robin Antonio talking about O.J. Simpson. How's O.J. doing? How's Uncle Juice? Good, good. Have you f- kept up with O.J.? No, I'm way behind on Uncle Juice, much to Emily's chagrin. My wife really wants to catch up on it. We just have not been able to do it. But the buzz is strong. The buzz is
1: real. Yeah, I think it's gotten better. I think it's gotten stronger.
2: Yeah, I think she, she wants to catch up on OJ. That's perfect. I, you know, I, I just I understand why it's a it's a riveting show. I can't wait to see how it turns out.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, one, we, we, we don't know the spoilers. No one has told us anything. We've made sure that everyone doesn't tell us the ending. So we've avoided all that
2: stuff. Good idea.
0: Yeah, uh, but we were in Los Angeles this past week, and Emily was very upset because she wanted to to be able to be like like point out all of the all of the various hot spots from Uncle Juice's story. Yeah, uh, she was unable to do that.
1: They should do an OJ tour. I'm sure. That, I bet somebody to used be to. Fit.
0: Yeah, but they Uncle should bring Juice it back. tour. Exists. Yeah, uh, gotta imagine. That exists. But we are we are not talking about L.A. this week. We are talking about East Texas. We are getting here. We are getting together here to talk about Happen Leonard, new Sundance TV show. This was something that Antonio and I, when we were talking about Agent Carter, we didn't know what we were going to do for the week that I was out. And I just said, please don't talk about Happen Leonard without me, as if that was really a threat.
2: Yeah. Rob was really wanting to do it, Josh. And I had to hold him back. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I know that Rob is a big, big fan of uh, Joe Lansdale. So this was something that he was really itching to get into.
1: Yeah. Luckily, Antonio talked me out of it. He said, uh, just wait, hold off. It'll be worth it. Like, OK, fine.
0: Do you know anything about Joe Lansdale, the guy who wrote the Hap and Leonard stories that the show is based on, Rob? I know I do not. He basically is Eastman from The Walking Dead. Uh, except, uh, I don't think that he like held anyone captive and killed them, but he's like a larger guy from the South who is a super awesome martial arts expert.
1: Yeah. Is he a super pacifist as well? I think he probably only
0: uses it for defensive measures. Okay. Uh, I don't know about how much of a pacifist he is. I was reading an interview with him earlier today where he described how in his childhood he knocked out a bully and was very excited about oh, it. Well, that makes me happy because I hate bullies. Yeah, we hate bullies. No bullying here. Uh, Antonio, what do you know about, about Joe Lansdale, the author who is responsible for Happen, Leonard? That's the show we're talking about today. It is a Sundance TV show. It's based on a bunch of books and two main characters that this guy is writing about a lot. Do you? Are you hip to, to
2: the Lansdale? I read one book by Joe Lansdale, uh, and I read it because he won the Edgar award. The Edgar award is kind of like an, a national book award that's given to mystery writers at Edgar being Edgar Allan Poe. Oh. And uh, you know, there's a lot of really good writers or, or really good books that are Edgar award winning books or Edgar award winning writers. So I like to frequent the half price books. I like a good deal. I like a good book. So those two things combined make a good store. So I picked up uh, I think that the bottoms did win the Edgar award uh, maybe like 15 or 20 years ago, read that very good book. He reminds me of another writer that I really like, um, whose name is James Lee Burke, who writes in this similar setting: uh, East Texas, West Louisiana, kind of uh, the bottoms, the you know the swamps, these kind of lowlands. Uh, very similar characters, this sort of pulpy thing. Uh, and I, I like Joe Lansdale. I haven't read anything else he's done. I hadn't read any of the Happen Leonard stuff, but I'm excited to. I was definitely excited to check out the show with his pedigree.
0: Yeah, and I mean, we were talking about this offline. I think for you and I, Antonio, this might uh, this might scratch our justified itch a little bit.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. There's a there's there's definitely justified reasons for that to be the case. There uh, yeah. there's a very similar milieu, kind of the hard boiled, uh, anti Western Western. There's things that are going on that are very similar in in feeling and tone. Uh, in action to justified. Well, I'm sure that'll come up again on this podcast.
0: Yeah, I was reading an interview with Jim Mickle who is one of the showrunners behind this show and he's describing it as swamp noir.
2: Swamp noir. I like it. Yeah, Swamp that works. noir. Yeah. Uh
0: so that's Kinda that's Kind of tough the, to say. That's the it is. It's a swamp noir. It's like you got something you got something stuck yeah. in the back of your throat and you Doesn't can't get it out. Tongue. <laughs> no, it's stuck on your tongue. <laughs>
2: it's very sticky. It's
0: like peanut butter. Uh, swamp noir. So they're calling this Swamp Noir. Uh, what's what's the setup for this show, Antonio? Can you give us the the brief pitch on what happened? Leonard is
2: sure. Happened Leonard. It's a buddy show about Happened Leonard. Uh, two guys, one black guy, one white guy, uh, who are really on the low end of society in East Texas. They're very poor. Uh, you see them working, uh, kind of picking roses, and they're losing their job right as the series starts uh, to cheap labor who is undocumented. Like this is the kind of job they're doing, and you see. A, bunch of those gimmicks they send in the mail called bills just piling up on their table. <laughs> uh, horrible things happen. What are so, those things? Yeah, they're just those gimmicks they send in the mail called bills. Uh-huh. That's what Stone Cold Steve Austin calls them. Uh-huh. So that's what I call them. Past due notices piling up. They got nothing going on. And a lot of what happens in this show is really about the past, about things that they've done in their life to get them to this point, decisions they've made, regrets they have, uh, things that make them who they are. And maybe whether one thing or one moment or one action Something that they're pursuing throughout the course of this series, at least through the three episodes, can change their luck, can change their kind of system if maybe they can undo some of the decisions they've made or revisit them. Uh, and so that's kind of what we're doing. And that comes in the form of uh, a, a pretty classic femme fatale from the kind of swamp noir classic, uh, <laughs> you know, tropes. Uh, we've got Christina that really is that a, coming
0: in. That really is a swamp noir thing. That it is a swamp
2: t- noir thing for sure. Yeah. 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 We've got a redheaded femme fatale walking in and she's got an offer. She's like, Hey, there, I heard about this crime that happened. uh, And there's a bunch of money, a treasure out there that's undiscovered sitting at the bottom of a river. And if you guys help us find it, you can take a large portion of that money and go do something else with your lives. And this is very tantalizing to hap. Uh, Maybe not as much with Leonard, but uh, Leonard finds reasons to be in as well.
0: Yeah. Leonard is not a big fan of Trudy. Not a, not a Trudy person. Yeah. What's his problem? Mm He's just anti-Trudy. Uh, is it weird to see Christina Hendricks from Mad Men playing a Trudy? Is there like some sort of cognitive dissonance
2: there?
1: <laughs> it is weird to see her in not Mad Men, but I didn't really even make the connection between her and Trudy. It just occurred what, to me.
2: What kind of roles did you expect her to be taking on after Mad Men, Rob? Is this the kind of role that you saw her in, or did you... She was so high class in Mad Men. She was always very... This is a very kind of she's wearing a waitress outfit for most of the series. It's very much a different take on the the Joan Holloway character for sure.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a different character than Joan. But I think she's pretty solid here. I think that, you know, I I do think that like a lot of this show sort of like trades on that, like, okay, we have people from other high high end dramas uh, that, you know, where uh, you have, uh, you know, Omar from The Wire and uh, Michael Williams. And then also you have Christina Hendricks from Mad Men. And then uh, James Purevoy. So I think that, like, I think a lot of this, the casting here is just shorthand. This is good because we have these people from other shows that you like. I can't believe how quickly you yada yada past McPoyle. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, I know him as Gavin from House of Cards.
0: Sure. Of course. Then that's high class. Yeah. Uh, not to say that McPoyle is not a high class character in his own way.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah, this is, I mean, So you've got Jimmy Simpson, one of the McPoyle brothers from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, a.k.a. Gavin from House of Cards, uh, one of the great roles in Jimmy. Jimmy Simpson's a great kind of character actor playing these sorts of roles. He's got like a a Christian Slater vibe, but he's much weirder than that. And I think he pulls it off in a fantastic way. Michael Kenneth Williams, Rob, you mentioned, who plays Omar in The Wire, plays Leonard. Hap is played by James Purefoy. Who is uh, I can probably most notable is playing Mark Antony in HBO's Rome. Uh, he's a British actor, and I unless
0: you're a fan of The Following, in which case you're a big Joe Carroll guy.
2: I guess, yeah, that could be the case. I, I don't know. I, mean, I wasn't a follower of The Following. You were not a um, follower of The Following, so this
0: is a very no. weird. It's a it's a weird disconnect to see him be like this fanatical serial killer on that show, and now being a total pacifist here on Happened, Leonard.
2: It's just weird to see him being trying to pretend like he's from East Texas. His accent is is all over the map in the show, so that's a little bit off off kilter for sure.
0: That's um, by by his own admission. He's like, this is a weird fit for me. Uh, He gave an interview. James Purefoy gave an interview with Entertainment Weekly where he said, uh, you know, he'd been on the following. He went back to London. He reconnected with Michael Kenneth Williams, who's a friend of his from the past. They were on a show called The Philanthropist together, um, and Michael Kenneth Williams was already cast as Leonard. And he said, I'd love for you to come and try out and be hap. Uh, and he got the script and he says, I looked at the script and I thought I should not be playing a working class blue collar farm laborer from East Texas. I can't do that. In fact, I shouldn't do that, which is pr- precisely why I had to do that. Um the, so he's aware of his limitations in terms of delivering the texas accent at the very least i think that that's a that's a critique that i would i would throw out at this show so far
2: wasn't a deal breaker for me but it was noticeable for sure Noticeable was it a deal breaker for either of you guys
1: it didn't bum me out too much
2: it did bum me
1: out but um
2: i i
0: felt like he was he was not my number one on the board i think that some of these other characters are a lot more interesting to me than Hap is, which is a shame because I know Hap is the POV character in the Lansdale novel So it's obviously this is the guy who's as close to home to the author as anybody else in this in this list of characters. um And just the casting for me is just not super spot on. But the chemistry he's got with Michael K. Williams, the fact that these two are friends outside of the show, I do think that that shows up on the show.
2: Yeah, I think that that's a strong suit. It reminded me a little bit, and I know Alan Sepinwall kind of noted this in his little discussion that he had with Christina Hendricks about the show definitely reminded me of the chemistry in Terriers, which was a short lived show that I really liked. Uh, One season show from FX. Yeah. Terriers is great. And Donald Logue and uh, Michael, uh, what was his name? Michael Michael Michael, Raymond James, I believe. Michael Raymond James uh, from True Blood fame. Uh, they had a great off-screen chemistry. They're great friends, and that really translated on-screen. And a lot of that plays out here. You can tell Purefoy and Williams are friends. Um, The way they kind of throw their digs at each other, the the reactions that they get, there's a very easy chemistry between the two of them.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, If I had known that this was a show that was like uh, 1980s crime, I might have not thrown it out here for most shows recap because I know we're a, a decade off. It was 1970s crime, but I would have been worried about aliens popping up here for you, Antonio.
2: Oh, we uh, look, there's a lot thematically that this show has in common with Fargo uh, because it is about, you know, the promise of the 60s and the idealism of the 60s. And when you get to the 80s or when you get to, you know, 10 or 12 years after that uh, in Fargo, it's described as a hangover. The next decade is a hangover on that idealism. And I think we're seeing the kind of, you know, the, the Monday morning here uh, of, a, of a long weekend. We're seeing like, OK, where do we go now? Like looking back. That was fun, but what did we accomplish? Where do we go? Do we try to, you know, work all week so we can do it again? Like, what are we really trying to get get after here? And we're seeing the '80s kind of play out in this way. It's fantastic, I think, how a lot of shows on TV are taking these longer looks back. We talked here on most shows recapped about Vinyl, a show that's taking a look right back at like 1973 and the time period there and what society was like there. And this is a show that is as well, I think. It's not a big feature of the show, but it's present. We see presidential candidates on the TV. We hear talk about Reagan. We see the promise of the 80s. And the stuff about like the the idealism in the 60s and what people were going for and what worked and what didn't work, that is a predominant theme throughout the first three episodes of this series for certain.
0: Yeah. Um, Rob, what's your take on the show so far? Are you liking this? Thumbs up, thumbs down?
1: I feel like that it is a uh, a very average show. And I feel like that this is just one of these peak TV type problems where I think it's a very serviceable show that all of the acting is good and and we like all these actors. But for me, I just am finding that I am not really drawn into the story of what's going on. To me, it feels like a pretty low stakes story in terms of all the other TV that we have to watch right now. So, I have to say that the chemistry between Hap and Leonard has not been enough to hook me into a regular Hap and Leonard watcher where I want to see this play out over 10 to 13 episodes.
0: We won't be spinning off for Hap and Leonard. That won't <laughs> be the dedicated podcast that's going to be coming to. out yeah. every week. Yeah, just for the pun. Just <laughs> yeah. for that. Just a the good we
2: already did. We already did true detective. So, I mean, we can do <laughs>
0: that's right. I forgot that we did true detective. We did True detective. Yeah, yeah that, that was really good. Uh, I think that that's probably fair. I think that, you know, the story is a little thin right now. I mean, the stakes are pretty low. The setup is there is a car out there in the middle of a lake somewhere that has a million bucks in the trunk. And if we can get past the alligators and if we can scuba our way down to that thing, we can walk away with 200 K. Uh, like that's that's the mission statement of the show that's not extraordinarily um, enticing but I do think that the dynamic between these two characters is really really fun and I think you just have to contrast whether or not that's enough to hook you in and I think that you said it you know the peak TV thing there's just so much out there to watch is that enough is that bromance between Hap and Leonard enough to draw you in Every single week. Antonio, where do you, where do you land on all that? Where do you land stale on that?
2: Well, it's only a, so it's a six episode mini kind of, and I think the idea would be uh, that if the six episode mini is well received, does well enough that we could launch the characters into a second season, uh, more shows, more episodes, et cetera. I think that I'm drawing that from the fact that Christina Hendricks is presented as a special guest star uh, right. meaning I think that if there were a season two, she wouldn't be in it, uh, but the, some of the core characters would continue forward uh, and we'd see more misadventures of Happ and Leonard. Would we get more Chubb? Well, that's a good question. I really like Chubb. Uh, surprisingly big, uh, by the way. Um, wow. I would like to see, well, yeah, I don't know if you caught that straight line from Michael K. Williams, but I laughed really hard at that. Um, did, what, what does he say? He calls him surprisingly big? No, he, when <laughs> Chubb is a, is a large man who gets caught in a quicksand uh, yes. and he, he loses his pants. And then he says, uh, I'm going to run in and shower and clean off my coin purse, is what he says. Oh, got it. And Michael K. Williams remarks he has a surprisingly big, uh, you know, male cub, if you will. Uh, (laughs) uh, Just an aside, you know, just an aside. He's very male cub, male cub. Yeah, a little, a little bear cub. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, uh, let's not talk about that anymore. But uh, but yeah, Rob's right. Like there's so much prestige TV, like a lot of shows, you know, Sunday night prestige TV. You've got to see the prestige TV, the award winning shows. And then there's a lot of mid-level TV. I'd say this is a very good mid-level TV show, but I'm not sure it's trying to be a prestige TV show. It is fun. And I think it's trying to be fun. And I think it succeeds at that for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, I like it. I I think, you know, you and I, we talked about this before. It kind of has this little bit of a justified thing. I have a justified size hole in my heart right now. That show, which was near and dear to me and Antonio, both we podcasted about the final season and did podcasts about every season as a whole leading up to that final season week by week breakdown. Um, And I think that Antonio and I both would agree that that final season, especially, but the show at large of justified, was just one of our favorite things that has happened in recent television history. And I miss it very, very much. And I think that there is something about happened, Leonard that kind of fills that hole. How how would you quantify that for you, Antonio? What do you think it is about this show that has a little bit of a justified commonality?
2: Is it the just Elmore surface Leonard. level or is there something no, no. deep? I think there's a couple deeper things. Salmore Leonard famously, you know, writes Fun Villains. I think we've got something going on here with Jimmy Simpson. Uh, and his angel, his sidekick, uh, who is just this cold-blooded killer. She's almost like a skin job from uh, from Blade Runner. Like she just seems almost like robotic. In I, I don't sense anything more than feral, just killer lust in her. Uh, so it's and kind of fantastic.
0: You, when you say disco around her, she just activates.
2: She just activates, and turn, yeah. uh, it's just nuts. Like, and yeah. she wants to eat rare steak. Uh, the ones that bite back. So. Like this is a, there's a really kind of fun villain vibe going here. And so that's something I think the show has in common with Justified and Elmore Leonard. And again, you've got the sort of uh, the setting where you've got characters who have heart, but are also not exactly the most well-rounded characters that maybe made mistakes or that maybe have a lot of problems they're bringing to the table. They're at, they're at the bottom of their ebb. Uh, They're not, you know, the best people. This is not like a hero kind of show uh, maybe you know, maybe they made some heroic choices in the past. Maybe they didn't, but this is not about like your necessarily classic hero tropes, where you've got like a hero cop or a, a hero firefighter, or it's a medical drama or whatever. Like these are kind of down on their luck kind of guys uh, who are trying to do right, but maybe doing wrong at the same time. Uh, maybe they're going to double cross some people. Maybe they'll slash some tires to get ahead. Um, maybe they'll do some things like that. But this is a uh, this is not you know this is not a show that that ultimately has i think the the great dynamic at the core of justified which is uh, two guys who grew up in the same town and they were separated by time and space and they each kind of ended up in different places but then they ended up back in the same place and so how would they react to each other that great dynamic at the heart of justified really isn't present here because it's clear hap and leonard have been there for each other throughout the last 30 years but i think that that the sort of tone and the vibe of the show is very, very similar for sure. The music, I know Josh, you're a big fan of the music. Yep. That's definitely there as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. I love the I love the soundtrack to this so far. I think that's really fun. Uh, I I mean, I think that it's it's fun to imagine what it would have been like if Raylan and Boyd had grown up together and stuck around together. And I feel like you get some version of that here of these two guys are still uh, happen. Leonard very simpatico. Uh, So it's you know, it's a different vibe. It's not an antagonistic vibe, but these are also people who just don't tolerate each other's crap. They are very frank with each other when somebody, when, when the other one is messing up, then they go ahead and they make the same mistake and they get it thrown back in their, in their face. Uh, there's a, I, it's a, a line that I won't repeat yep. here because it's a
2: something naughty about line. A, about a conscience? Yeah, something about, something about a male cub uh, yes. <laughs> and and guilty consciences. A stiff male, a stiff male cub has no conscience, Josh. <laughs> think yeah, that's.
0: that's- I think that's the line. Uh, so I, I, lo- I really do love the shorthand between these characters. I
1: think it's,
2: I think it's really fun. Yeah, like male cub is now shorthand between the three of us. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, Well, not so short.
1: You guys mentioned uh, the similarities between the uh, the fun villains, and I feel like that the uh, the Jimmy Simpson character. I actually uh, really did like that character, yeah. but I, I felt as though I'm watching a different show in the scenes that we're seeing with him.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask if it felt like it was just too weird. Like it was, it was almost like seeing the Joker suddenly shows up on Justified. Uh, like there was definitely like he was, he felt like um, in the next episode, it really felt like Batman should have just been like roaring through East Texas, like looking to find Jimmy Simpson and throw him back into Arkham Asylum. Where's Jimmy
2: Simpson? <laughs> yeah, it is. It where's a the like, raw steak? <laughs> it is a little. Where's the disco? It is like a little bit of a different kind of show because. She shows up with Jimmy Simpson. Angel shows up and she's, what is she wearing? She's wearing the 80s. She's wearing the entire 1980s on her body. <laughs> yes. She's got like a mannequin outfit with these uh, spandex. Like, I, I don't even know. Like, a, it's like hot pink, like neon. I I don't know. She's, she's wearing the 1980s and she does look like, a skin job from Blade Runner, for sure. And yeah. she's just kind of waltzing around out there with a disco ball. And he, And Jimmy Simpson, meanwhile, is wearing a shirt I'm pretty sure both of you own, that I've seen both of you. <laughs> I'm positive. Yeah.
0: yeah, I'm pretty sure that that shirt is just like glued to at least Rob's body, but probably my body as well. I just can't take that plaid shirt off ever.
2: So it, it is like, and I think that that's on purpose, that when she shows up, she is, and, and Jimmy Simpson as well, their look, they look so different that the yeah. look I think is on purpose, but I'm not sure tonally. Like it is tonally also a different show because that's where the real violence of the show comes in. To the extent that there is violence in the show, that's the violence in the show. That's the action, the real action in the show. The rest of the stuff would happen. Leonard and the gang of hippies they kind of interact with, including True Detective, are really kind of. Uh, it's really kind of a character study, and this is like a you talk about swamp noir. This is the violence angle of the show for sure Uh, this is the scarlet street side of it like this is the blood uh, and the guts and the kind of darkness is jimmy simpson uh in his his her name is angel he calls her angel yeah, I think played by an actress named Pollyanna McIntosh, mm-hmm. which sounds like she may actually be a robot. That's a robot name if I've ever heard.
0: <laughs> <that>. <laughs> yeah, well, I I think what's interesting if you drill down a little bit into Joe Lansdale and what his influences are and what he has done in the past, I I'm not super familiar with his with his work, or at least I didn't realize that I was, but he is. Um, He's deeply influenced by comic books. He is a noted comic book writer. His um, his early reading influences as a kid are all DC comics. He went on to write a bunch of episodes of Batman, the animated series. He's written a lot of Batman books and comics. So this is a guy who has a very deep familiarity with those types of characters and that type of storytelling. And my understanding is that Happen Leonard does a little bit of genre mashing and it does a little bit of genre bending and having uh, some of these different characters and different types of characters and, you know, real weirdos popping up here in a story that doesn't necessarily feel like they would otherwise fit. Um, And so, I mean, it's very clear that tonally it's it's jarring when those characters show up at the end of episode one. Do you not like that it's jarring? Do you not like that this is something that's trying to be fit into here? Or are you interested in the fact that the show is kind of almost two shows at certain points?
1: To be honest, I actually liked that show better than the rest of Happen Leonard. So I was finding myself saying like, boy, this is the most interesting thing going on on this show. And I know it's a little campy and it's a little silly what they're doing. And it's also, you know, pretty violent, but... I kind of feel like that once you show me that, I think it really is a worse contrast for the rest of the stuff that's going on that's slower because I don't know what kind of show this is where it's it's more of a talky show and it's really about the characters. That's fine. But then when you start to give me this other sort of really pulpy stuff, well, now I'm really confused about what kind of show this is. And I think that at least for me, I find the pulpy stuff to be more interesting. And so I'd like to see more of where that's going. And I also feel the same thing about the search for the money. I feel like, okay, uh, this is interesting. Okay. There's a million dollars at the bottom of the river. Okay, but I feel like that the times when we're not really, you know, working towards that goal, I feel like that that's when the show is really too slow for me.
0: Yeah. I wonder if it's like, you you know, you could read this like you can see how these are, you know, chapters in a novel or a novella and that reads really well. But is it maybe just a little slow in terms of television? Is it just a little slow? And I know, Antonio, you've studied these episodes very closely. You almost scream queen did, right?
2: Yeah, I watched the first two twice, I'll admit it. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, I didn't so watch the third one twice.
0: Why why did you feel you needed to to revisit the first two episodes? What was it that you wanted to go back and check out?
2: I wasn't paying close enough attention, I don't think. Like I and I and I it was validated because I didn't even realize there was a you know, the scene there Michael K. Williams character is a homosexual. Uh, There is a love scene that with with him and a former partner that I didn't even realize occurred the first time I watched it, Uh, because I just feel like with shows like this, you miss little character notes if you're not paying 100 percent attention. Uh, And I I wasn't I didn't feel like I'd paid close enough attention and I felt like I missed character notes because I didn't I think it is part of that not being 100 percent sure what kind of show it was. Uh, And so not realizing that it was a lot of the stuff was a lot more character based. And so the little moments, the little notes, the one lines, two lines, three lines here and there ended up mattering a lot more. I'm not saying this is why I rewatched Screen Queens. I can't explain that to this day. (laughs) We could do a whole True Detective spinoff podcast about that. We could investigate that if we wanted to. I'm sure there's a lot going on, some subtext. Uh, You could probably bring philosophy into it. But the long and the short is, I think for character shows, I think if you miss things or you don't really pay attention or you aren't invested from the jump, sometimes you can Get off on the wrong foot with a character by missing one or two stray little lines or notes or misunderstanding one moment. Uh, And I think that it's tough for a show like this when you don't know jumping in what you're getting into uh, and you get kind of a lot of things all over the place. Uh, If you if you don't realize you're watching a show that requires that level of attention, uh, you might miss out. And as a result, not really be as invested in the characters as you should.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, in, in terms
2: of your rewatch, who really
0: who really stood out to you in terms of these characters? Uh, are you I got to imagine we're all we're all on board. We're team Leonard here because he's seeing Michael K. Williams back and roll like this is really kind of awesome.
2: Yeah, Leonard is great. I don't know what it is about Michael K. Williams uh, getting cast as this sort of against type homosexual, but it works yeah. really well. He's uh, great at it. Is. I think Lansdale said uh, in an interview with the New York Times that there was, a, or it might have been a different interview, but there were a series of murders in East Texas of homosexuals in the 80s, and it really affected him. And he started writing in one of his particular books about it. And this is something where he wanted to include a character when he wrote these happened Leonard stories that wasn't really prominent in media at the time. Nowadays, I mean, you don't just have like a gay neighbor like on Grace. You've got all sorts of homosexual characters, but back in the 80s, like that was a little bit more uh, of uh, of crossing a line where you've got this guy who's a is a tough boxer and he's working in the fields and he's martial arts trained and he was a marine diver and he's all these things and he's black and he's gay and he's not you know totally comfortable with it he's got some issues with his level of comfort with it uh, but he's not you know he's not ashamed of it by any stretch he's just not able to be what he wants to be and I think you get a sense of that with this character through his uncle. Uh, character who's insulting him kind of throughout, but who very clearly is his closest people in the world, um, and who Leonard is willing to, you know, literally fist fight, uh, you know, people next door uh, to prove a point for. Uh, this is, a, you know, his uncle who wants nothing to do with him, seemingly. But there's a lot going on there. I really like that character. Still Waters Run Deep for sure with Leonard. And I think that that's a, a fantastic character. I'm less sold on Hap, even though I, I do like the idea that Hap might have been more idealistic. And so this job that they're on and the reasons behind it may be more appealing to him that struck me on the rewatch as appealing but then i watched episode three and I, I mean i don't want to get into particular spoilers but the plot gets pretty fast forwarded in episode three we find the money uh and we see you know what kind of is going to happen after that happens and I'm, I'm taking that all the character stuff we built up with leonard before that and i'm wondering how is that going to factor in the rest of the story so i'm a little less sure about leonard i did like trudy trudy's good uh, that's a good role for Christina Hendricks. Uh, it, you know, she was also in Drive and I think played a very similar role in Drive where she was like, you know, criminal adjacent kind of person who could get a lead male character into trouble uh, because she was just somebody that he really wanted to help. Uh, I don't want to see her get kind of pigeonholed into those roles. But I mean, she walks right into this show ready to play this role for sure.
0: Yeah. What about Paco? Are we team Paco? Rob, you like Paco? He's got like the Daryl Dixon thing going on. The hound. Yeah. yeah, and it looks like the hound. the hound meets Daryl Dixon.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm fine on Paco. I think I'm uh, I'm okay. I'll still take Daryl Dixon uh, over Paco, and and I'm also uh, team Leonard much more than team Hap.
0: Yeah, I think that that's easy. I don't think that that's a contest. When it's just such a more interesting character and a better performance. Uh, and I don't know. Would Would the show be better with somebody different as Hap? Do you think it's an actor problem? I know we talked about it a little bit, but is you know the casting is really great on this show? I think. Um, it would it would it be different if there was just a you know maybe a
1: more energetic guy playing Hap because James Purefoy is playing this character
0: pretty subdued
2: i
1: didn 't think it was so much the actor. I just felt like the story was uh not super interesting i didn 't feel like I was watching Hap and saying that uh boy, I really wish somebody else was playing him. I just felt like that uh, it wasn 't really doing anything for me uh that, you know his storyline that was going on, and especially like uh you know his uh romance with Trudy and trying to get back back together with her. It, it just was it was fine it just uh again wasn't anything that's really hooked me into this show yeah um just to dial it back to
0: Paco for a second because he is at the heart of the cliffhanger of the first episode we see Jimmy Simpson and Angel they show up they have their really crazy murder moment um and Jimmy Simpson's character says I'm looking for a guy named Paco and that's like that's the cliffhanger that we're left on for me. That felt a little weak, um, that that was the character that we're supposed to care about going into episode two. Was that enough to hang your interest on Antonio that we're, you know, the big kind of big moment at the end of episode one is, Ooh, now what's up with Paco? I felt like that should have been something that was a little more directly connected to Happer Leonard.
2: Yeah. It's weird because you get some inclination or inkling that, that Paco has this past as a sort of, uh, domestic leftist terrorist, that he was part of like a weather underground type of group called the mechanics. And he may have been the lead in this and may have been a bomb or explosive ex- kind of guy who, you know, would blow up things in protest, uh, like a WTO protester type. But I don't know why Paco would be interested in him. The only thing that's interesting or why, you know, Jimmy Simpson's character would be interested in Paco. The only thing that's interesting about that, of course, is that that brings Jimmy Simpson into a direct collision course with our characters. So long as Paco and our characters are aligned. Um, but I don't know With the way episode three ends, I don't know if our characters are going to stay aligned and I don't see the incentive for our characters to stay aligned. And I just don't know how I can continue to be like, okay, we'll see what happens. I mean, there are a lot of these stories where you've got like a happen Leonard type and let's say they, they become serial characters in Joe Lansdale's novels, which I believe they were, um, they get into scrapes constantly, right? You know, oh, what's this latest caper they're going to find themselves involved in? And to a certain point, it's great because you can continue to write and read novels about them. And they're, you know, the stories for adults, like the Hardy Boys for kids or any other kind of serialized like novel like that. But on a certain level, it's like, do you know, I respect a person? Some that continues to get in these ridiculous scrapes and is constantly ending up in these situations and i don't know with the way episode three ends i don't want hap and to happen leonard to play any more ball with these guys so i don't know why happen leonard are ever going to interact with paco in a way that's going to be meaningful to me because like rob i don't really love the trudy story with with hap i don't think in two episodes or even in three they did enough to make me completely buy in that Leonard was just going to put everything aside for this woman, or that she even wants him to do that. So I'm very kind of curious as to where we go going forward, and if it's enough for me to stay interested in Hap, for sure. I understand why Leonard would want to be loyal to Hap. I get that. But I don't necessarily get why Hap would want to continue to get his nose dirty here.
0: Yeah, Uh, I think that's fair, but I think that, you know, you hit on something earlier that this is a six episode season. Um, You know, it's a it's a small story. It's not a big time commitment. You really just got to have six hours of free time and you can zip right through Happen Leonard whenever the first season is fully available. Um, and it is based on these characters who appear in a ton of books and short stories. And the sense that I get is based on the pace of this season, the money is discovered by the end of episode three. There's only three more episodes left that I feel like this particular storyline will be resolved by the end of this first season. And if Happen Leonard is supported enough and people enough people are watching it and Sundance TV, if they like it enough to do another season, it feels to me... Like it would be a pretty much a changing of the guard in terms of not just uh, story, but probably also characters. And that sounds interesting to me. If the premise of the show isn't two guys in East Texas who are chasing down $100,000 each in the trunk of a car, but it's instead two guys in East Texas who are best friends constantly getting into weird situations. That's a fun show that I feel like I would be willing to check out, especially if the time commitment continues to be pretty low.
2: Yeah. I think you can get a lot more mileage out of that when there, when there, there's some sort of reasoning for that. Like they're private detectives or they're fixers or right. they have some kind of business that brings them into contact with all these crazy stories. And I don't mean to say that this needs to be a story of the week type show. I like long form storytelling. And I think especially over six to 10 episodes, I love to see these novels unfold on screen. Uh, Fantastic to see that play out. I think a lot of people probably would say, why isn't this just a movie? You know, like I would, I'll watch this in in independent flick, or I'd watch this as a movie for sure. And I think that's part of the reason why I think you want to launch a series out of this. My only point is I don't understand from not knowing the novels. I don't know how these characters could continue to get into these kind of long form stories without some level of that.
1: Right. Or is it like a breaking bad where now we are going to now start to get happen. Leonard after this caper, now they get really pulled into the underworld and now they are going and committing bigger and bigger crimes or looking for different treasure in different places. I I don't know where they go from here. Once this uh, situation ultimately resolves itself or uh does the storyline about the you know the group that wants to take over the government does that really get off the ground are we going into some sort of like uh you know cult-like activist movement here in the future of happen leonard oh man well they could join
0: jesse pinkman in the cult as aaron paul is going to be on a show about cults called the path pretty soon oh yeah That's an interesting intersection. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. I think think that it will probably be something where they're just going to get continuously drawn into bad shit. I think that they're just, you know, they're kind of crap magnets, you know, just like bad stuff attracts to them um and my my guess is that you know that's just the type of characters that these guys are you talked earlier antonio about like i don't know if these are the type of people that i would respect i don't know if you need to respect these characters for them to be compelling and interesting and i think that maybe the point will be that like these are people that it's it's tough to respect because they're constantly getting themselves into bad jams
2: yeah i just i want to root for these guys you know like i'm rooting for them now like fully on board the rose scene and the way that all played out and those gimmicks they call bills piling up and everything that they've got going on in the home front, I'm rooting for them for sure. Uh, but I, you know, I, I maybe would give them less credence if they just continue to just go right back, like a moth to the flame uh, to these situations. It makes sense why they want this 200 K right now. And 200 K is plenty of money, but and it's life changing money to somebody who has no K, but it's not like it's necessarily going to set somebody up for the rest of their lives per se. So I can understand why, They need to do something beyond that 200K, Uh, and maybe they want to use that to seed something, which is, of course, what the kind of activist group wants to do. Yeah, there
0: was there was a Uh, moment there where I thought that you were doing the Shooter McGavin bit of rhyming things with K uh, from Happy Gilmore. (laughs) Maybe I was. Yeah, I also also missed a Michael K joke in there
2: somewhere. (laughs) Michael K. Yeah, I eat eat, eat podcasters like you for breakfast, Josh. Yeah, you eat podcasters for breakfast. (laughs) Shut up. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, I—I I mean, I don't know. I—I I am curious. I—I I like the actors. I like the tone of the show. I like the setting of the show. I—I uh, li- I w- I will definitely watch the—the the final three episodes of the show. I pro- probably won't watch them as they air, although I will record it uh, because I enjoyed watching three in a row, uh, and I'll probably finish watching three in a row. I like that. Uh, I watched half, and then I'll watch the other half. But I—I I, I don't know. Season two. It's not about really respecting them. It's about if I'm going to tune in each week to root for these guys, I need to figure out why they're getting into trouble. And if it's because it's their own fault and they don't have some fatal character flaw that I can totally align myself with, then maybe I'm going to have a little less patience for it. So right. I need to know like they can't. There can't be a million true detectives out there. Uh, there can't be a million women like this that have this pull over hap uh, to constantly pull them back in. Maybe there, Maybe that's exactly it.
0: Maybe he just has like a, a laundry list of of these people from past relationships who are just going to constantly come back and he just can't help himself.
2: Well, it's so crazy because I was looking up Pollyanna uh, the. The actress who plays Angel. I was looking her up on IMDb while we were talking here, and I noticed that she's in a film uh, called Sex and Death 101, which is a film I've seen with Patton Oswalt and Simon Baker and Winona Ryder, uh, which also features uh, Survivor's own Jessica Sugar Kuyper. Oh. No way! They've, they've right. the yeah. yes, they have Turn shared the screen. Yes. Turned out to be Happen Leonard. <laughs> Turn out to be Happen Leonard. Pollyanna McIntosh and Sugar Kuyper. Apparently, I don't remember uh, Pollyanna from the movie, but uh, that movie is about a guy. Who is uh, you know who every basically every woman that he's ever had relations with uh, is on is on blast? They arrive in the form of an email uh, somebody knows about everything that he's done, and uh, they may be using it against him, and that's sort of the premise of that movie. So there's an interesting intersection there, I think maybe.
0: bizarre, Very strange stuff. Any final words on Hap and Leonard before we start wrapping up?
1: Well, I was really surprised when uh, Hap and Trudy ended up. Uh, they you know figured out where the uh, money was. And then there was right. a crocodile in the water and they escaped the <laughs> crocodile. Uh, and then they got back to dry land. And I guess they were so relieved either from finding the money or from surviving the crocodile attack that they just started making passionate love right yeah. there. But I was most surprised by then. It must've been uh, so passionate that they just passed out right there, not 10 feet from the water where they just escaped the alligator attack and slept there the whole night. And, I was, one, really amazed by just uh, how reckless that would be and how lazy the crocodile was.
0: <laughs> Very lazy crocodile. Uh, the crocodile really could have just put in a little bit of work and could have gotten a nice meal out of the thing. You would think so. You would think yeah. so.
2: I mean, well, it turns out crocodiles can walk onto land. I've seen it happen. I've walked <laughs> uh-huh. by a crocodile yeah. who's on the land. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, uh, what happened there? Why were you walking past the crocodile on the land? Is, well, it was an alligator, actually, at a Shark Valley park in Florida, and it's terrifying. So, uh, But yeah, I don't understand why why that crocodile gave up. What was going on there, Rob? I
1: don't know. I think he might have just been a bro and like, ah, all right, let me give this guy a minute here.
2: <laughs> yeah, he was not an anti-wingbag. <laughs> <wing laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: The gator's like, not, I get it. Not, he, was not, he didn't this. want to be a croc block. Oh, yeah, he's croc
0: blocking. Crock blocking. I think that, that just uh, went past Mail Cub as,
2: <laughs> yes. a, as a hashtag <laughs> front.
0: Runner. Yeah.
2: No, I love Mail Cub.
0: Yeah. Mail Cub? They're the sponsor. Yeah. Yeah, they are. It's so hard to pronounce their name, though. You just can't get it right anytime that you you do it. Uh, no, I thought that, that that whole scene was ridiculous. And they're so tired at the end of it that, like, the next morning, you know, Howard and Paco and Chubb are just surrounding them. Yep. And they don't even wake up. Talking, like, talking really talking. loud. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like Chubb, like breathing heavy and stuff. And they're just like fine. They just like totally slept through it. Yeah. Very heavy sleepers, these guys. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I, I probably, I'm with you, Antonio. I think that I will, I'll wait until the next three pile up and then I will finish it. It's a low commitment. And I really did enjoy pretty much most I, I enjoyed most of what i saw here with happen Leonard. i really like the tone i love michael k williams i think he's great in just about anything that he's in i think that he's really good as this character so i um, not dying to see the next three but interested for sure and really curious to see how jimmy simpson connects to this whole thing does anyone have any theories how he's gonna be drawn into this more it's obviously through paco somehow
2: yeah and if paco had this past as part of some kind of uh like a, i don't know separatist group or terrorist group he could be a. Uh kind of spurned ex-member of that group or maybe somebody who was uh, victimized by that group. Uh, and I don't know what his total plan is here, but he very clearly seems after Paco, not uh, not there to help Paco. Uh, at least that's the way it seems to me because he's killing people with really no desire to uh, cover it up. Uh, very little desire to cover it up. Uh, both both murders are already in the news. There's cops everywhere. You murder a cop at the beginning or the end of the first episode, the rest of that story is going to be a bad deal with police. So yeah. um, I, he's not really interested in keeping it low pro here, which means that he's probably got a very limited uh, mission uh, and it's probably going to come and try to kill Paco. And that's what it is. Paco first arrives on screen by shooting arrows like Daryl Dixon, like you said. His arrows are seen first, and then we see his burnt-up hound face. So He's a very interesting character, and I think yeah. we're going to see, we've seen already flashbacks on this show in the first three episodes. We could see some Paco flashbacks for sure.
1: I'd be down for some Paco flashbacks. Yeah, me
0: too. Uh, what What else is going on TV-wise? How's Better Call Saul going?
1: Good. Uh, very fun podcast the other night uh, with Antonio. I felt like uh, we got a lot of positive feedback about uh, some of Antonio's takes uh, regarding uh, a uh, character that was introduced the other night, and I think it's been a a fun season so far of the BCS. Uh, five episodes left to go on that show.
2: Yeah, and we went. We, I went full Zach Brooks on that uh, with my speculation, and I did that because I was so inspired, Rob, by the House of Cards podcasting you guys have been doing. Are we ready to drop the finale podcast, Rob?
1: Yeah, I'm going to edit that later on today, and so uh, all 13 episodes of House of Cards season four are recapped, and we're getting ready for a House of Cards season four feedback spectacular on Tuesday night. So very excited about that as well.
0: We're thumbs up on House of Cards season 4. This was yes. this was good. You yeah. you call this a bounce back season? Bounce back season, sure. Yeah. I binge watched it uh yesterday most of it uh after I got off my plane but some of it on my flight home from Los Angeles as well. So Thumbs up to that. I will be taking the binge watching baton from Rob very shortly. Here, Daredevil season two just premiered on Netflix, so look out for some podcasting from Kevin Mahadeo and yes. myself about Daredevil season two. Uh, you don't watch, you don't watch, you don't watch the Daredevil, do you, Rob? No, I don't. But you get in on it. It's a good show.
2: Okay, put it in the queue. I like the Daredevil. I'm a big fan of the Daredevil, uh, and I, Josh, I, I, I love his costume. It's my favorite part of the show.
0: <laughs> now you're just baiting me I was
2: absolutely yep I was I was gator baiting you
0: you're gator baiting me uh, well as long as you're not croc blocking me and we can we can go with that as the hashtag Crock block follow Antonio he's on Twitter at AC Mazzaro 2z1r Rob is at Rob Sesternino I'm at Round Howard next week Antonio what do we have lined up for next week's Mo Shows Recap
2: Well, Josh, Shondaland is in full effect. How to Get Away with Murder is wrapping up its second season. You talk about uh, talking points. There's a lot to talk about with How to Get Away with Murder. So we'll be breaking that down. We talked about it a little bit earlier on most shows recap, but a lot of people keep up with that show. So we wanted to bring in our hot takes about your favorite show, Annalise, Josh. I love Annalise. We'll be talking about Annalise next week. But there's also a new Shonda show. Tell us a little bit about that real quick. New Shonda show with uh,
0: Muriel Enos from The Killing, who is uh, who was co-starring on that show with RoboCop from House of Cards. Uh, That's a very strange mishmash. It's called The Catch is the name of this show. Also, I believe Peter Krause from Six Feet Under is on this as well. Wow. I'm not I'm not entirely sure what it's about. It seems like it's about like con artists and one upping each other in a game of cat and mouse. It's supposed to be pretty sexy because it's a Shondaland show and that's how they roll so let's see if this is good trash or bad trash I'm all about good trash hopefully it's good trash maybe even great trash or perhaps just mediocre trash uh, but we will we will sift through the trash next week talking about all of that stuff hopefully with a special guest dot 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 hmm. knock on wood for that uh, other than that that's it for this week's mo shows recap we will talk to you all again soon take care bye